Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. This morning I'm going to be talking, and maybe next week too, uh, what must uh, I do to be saved? And a very important topic, uh, to say the least. Uh, I want to read uh, Romans 10. If So if you have your Bibles, open Romans 10. And beginning with verse 4 through uh, verse 10. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And uh, may God uh, bless our entire hearts this portion of His Word, His infallible uh, word, his inspired word, uh, that was, uh, these men were moved by the Holy Spirit as they wrote uh, these words to us. And, uh, you just pray uh, for me. This is somewhat of a, a, a challenging, difficult passage and uh, trying to sort it out and because there are different thoughts from different men on what Paul is trying to say and compare to and bring into perspective. And you just kind of, after a while, you go, <laughs> so, but uh, I hope that uh, God will bless uh, to our hearts, I think, what uh, the truth of this is. Uh, what is the most important thing in all of life? What is the most important thing in your life? And I think, without any question, uh, it's not money. It's not what profession that I uh, have. It's not who I marry. Although all of these things are very important. Uh, The most important decision is what I do with Christ. And this is what Paul is saying here. It all is pointing to Christ. All of Scripture is pointing to Christ. What are you doing with Christ? And so we want to just talk about that. Uh, where will my soul spend eternity? That's an extremely important question. Because what does uh, our Lord say? Maybe. Okay. Ah, there it is. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul. Matthew 16, 26. The salvation of your soul is extremely important. You know, if the rejection of Christ just meant annihilation, as we were looking at this morning in the Sunday school, uh, that might be different. But eternal punishment 
awaits unbelievers, both Jews and Gentiles. But the scriptures are very clear about this. Mark 9, 43 and 44, which he read on his, uh, I thought that was interesting because I'd made this sermon and then I watched this tape and he uses the same scripture. I just, you know, I don't think that happens by chance, but uh, God was in that. But if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell into the unnoticed, the unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and fire is not quenched. Pretty uh, obvious what uh, that is saying. Matthew, uh, first, uh, Second Thessalonians uh, 1, 8 through 9, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel. Notice, do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of what kind of destruction? Paul says, eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. And uh, again, uh, very, very clear. Uh, Matthew 25 and 46. <clears throat> Unless he gets his... Oh, he's Matthew 20, uh, 20. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see, as, as he said this morning, or John Piper did, there will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. One of the questions I was asked when I stood before Presbytery is if I believed in a literal hell. And I said, well, if there is not a literal hell, there is no literal heaven. That is forever and ever. Because you see, these are put together. Will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous in eternal life. So both of them have to be eternal. And so this is why this subject is so important. The salvation of your soul is that important. Annihilation? Well, okay, no big deal. But the horror of hell is, is real. Uh, and it's to fill us, as he said this morning, with horror. And uh, there are only two places to go. Heaven, of course, is better than anyone can dream. Hell is worse than anybody can imagine. Is all I can say about that. In chapter 10, though, Paul wants us to understand God's, uh, how God's righteousness is received. Because you must be righteous in order uh, to get to the place you want to go to, which is heaven. And it's only by faith in Christ. This is what Paul is talking about. It only happens by faith in Christ. There are those uh, who strive to be righteous by what they do, like the, the Jews were doing in verse 3, Paul says. But Paul says in verse 4, which we, which we concentrated on last week, with finality, he says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. And by that, just in review, Christ is what the law pointed to at the end of the line, at the end of the railroad tracks, the terminal. The terminus is what He was. Uh, it was the end of the line and Christ was coming who was going to keep the law perfectly for us so that by faith we would receive Him and get His perfect record. And you only get His perfect record one way. 
and that is by faith and trust in His finished work in the cross. And that's the gospel. That is the gospel. If you want to be saved, you must receive Christ by faith and trust. Uh, and, and we'll look at more about what that means. But Christ was the perfect sacrifice for sin. He's the great high priest. Remember last week we talked about that in Hebrews 10. And I know you say, boy, here it comes again. But I just want to just implant this in our brain so that we can keep remembering this. You know, repetition aids learning. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But He, that is Christ, having offered one sacrifice, and what was that? Himself. He didn't go and offer a sacrifice because He didn't sin. He was the sinless sacrifice. You see. For all time, sat down at the right hand of God, awaiting waiting from that time onward until His enemies be made a footstool for His feet. For by one offering He has perfected for all time, those who are sanctified. If you're in Christ, you're perfect this morning. Why? Because you have His perfect righteousness by faith. That's what He's saying. He was your substitute. He took your place. And the great thing is there's a great exchange. He took my sins, I get His righteousness. By faith. By faith. By trusting Him. By looking to Him. Uh, dependence on Him. And uh, we're now clothed with that righteousness. So don't forget that. That's a, that's a wonderful truth uh, from God's Word. And uh, now, for today, we see that uh, it, it's, it, it's amazing to me as we look, and, and, and David said that after the Sunday school hour, and John Piper does a one, did a wonderful job of that, of, of bringing the Old Testament and the New Testament together. But it's amazing that in the Scriptures, it's amazing how there's no contradiction. And yet, it's separated by hundreds and thousands of years. These men, uh, inspired by God, writing down is the same thing that we find in the, in the New Testament. It's not like in the Old Testament uh, is one thing and the New Testament is another thing where there's, there's a contradiction. No, it, it just fits together like a glove in a hand. And uh, that's, of course, because it's inspired by God. It could never happen unless God was in it. It's just amazing how something like the sinking of the Titanic uh, was uh, uh, viewed by the crew, and it was also viewed by the people. And when they started interviewing after the sinking, some said, oh no, the, the Titanic went down in one piece. And others said, oh no, it broke in half before... It went down. It went down in two pieces. And, and even just one event, you know, people had different thoughts. And yet here we have the Scriptures written over hundreds and thousands of years. And it says the same thing. What is that? Salvation by faith. Salvation by faith. Hallelujah. You know, this is, this is what Paul is pointing out here as we go through this. Uh, the gospel, the gospel is uh, is is uh, is not law keeping. The gospel is not law keeping, and 
uh, the gospel is one of faith. And let us never forget that. Uh, the gospel of faith, we believe, is the same gospel in the Old Testament. One of faith. One of faith. Romans chapter 4. We, of course, have covered Romans 4, 1 through 3. It says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he says, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Faith. He faith. What did Jesus say about Abraham? This is what I said last week. Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. Abraham looked ahead, and he saw the one to come. By faith, he believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's, that's, it's just incredible how the old and the new. Now, uh, in the New Testament, though, we get a much clearer picture, do we not? See, back in the Old Testament, it was types and figures and, and what have you. But in the, in the New Testament, it's, it's, it's so clear why Christ has come. And now we can go back and read the Old Testament like, like Isaiah 53 that talks about the suffering servant. And they probably read that and went, what in the world is this talking about? But we go back and say, oh, the crucifixion. Oh, he was bruised for our iniquity. By His stripes we're healed. We understand why. Because we have the New Testament. And that's been made clear. You remember the old black and white TVs? See, I'm old enough to remember the old black and white. I'm telling my age here. But I remember we had one that had a screen about this big. You know, and you sat there and you kind of watched it and weren't really sure what you were looking at. But there it was. And you could hear. But uh, and the thing, the vertical, the vertical hold wouldn't hold. And it was... I see somebody else is telling their age too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and it wasn't very clear. But I never forget, and I think Bonanza was the first time color TV came to the screen was through Bonanza. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a trivia person, but I think that's right. Well, anyway, boy, it was so clear. Whoa. Bonanza, New Testament, black and white, Old Testament. You see, it's just clear. And we can see in... Uh, uh, this is this is something God has done for. It's a clear, sharper, more vibrant, more vibrant, and uh, this is uh, uh, we can see Christ clearly. We can see Christ clearly, and uh, but it was still bonanza. It was still the same show that you're looking at. The Old Testament, it was it was shadows and pictures and types. The New Testament. Uh, it's sharp and clear. And uh, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, just to give an illustration of what I'm talking about. In John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, as Moses lifted up the servant. Now, if you're not, this is in Numbers chapter 21, if you want to go read about that. Not right now, but Numbers 21. As Moses lifted up the servant, serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in Him have eternal life. This is what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. He said, what, what was the serpent up? Lifting the serpent up? What's that all about? Well, what had happened to the people? They'd been bitten by vipers and they were, they were dying. And so when they lifted up the serpent, and if you looked upon that serpent, what happened? 
you were healed. And Jesus, was, what was he saying? I will be lifted up on the cross, and by my death, when you look at me and fix your eyes on me and trust me, you're going to be healed. See what I'm saying? Yet, the, the brazen serpent being lifted up was a type. It was a picture of what was to come. And so, uh, this is where, uh, of course, Nicodemus, I'm sure, understood this, ladies, but it pointed to Christ being lifted up. Anyway, that's uh, that's a marvelous truth as well. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, what do I mean by looking to Christ? He says, fixing uh, or looking unto Jesus, I think as the King James, looking or fixing our eyes on Jesus, just as they had to fix their eyes on, on the serpent, you might have fixed your eyes on Jesus. In other words, you better get this right. You better realize where salvation is. It's in Jesus. Why? Because He's the author and perfecter of faith. And for the joy set before Him endured the cross and so forth. Marvelous, marvelous truth. I may preach a sermon from the blazing serpent sometime. But, uh, but anyway, returning to the text now in verse 5. Uh, Paul is concerned that we are right with God. That we are right with God. First of all, what does the law say to do? That's in verse 5 of chapter 10. He says, For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. Now he is uh, quoting here Leviticus chapter 18 and uh, verse uh, uh, 5. By the way, I The, the law says, what does the law say to do? What does the law say to do? In verse 5, the law says to do and live. Do and live. Do and live. And, and I'm going to explain. Uh, in other words, it says, keep me and live. But is there life in law keeping? No. There's only death in law keeping for salvation. Because you cannot be saved by keeping the law. Are there blessings in keeping the law? Yes, there are. But he quotes uh, Leviticus 18.5 here. But he also quotes it again in Galatians 3, verses 10 through 12. It says, uh, and, and this is the, the verse in Galatians, though, that, that the purpose of the law was to become our tutor to lead us to Christ. That's why the law was given wasn't ever for our salvation, to keep it for salvation, but it was to lead us to what? To Christ. All of that in the Old Testament was pointing to Christ so that we may be justified by what? By faith. Okay, now also in Galatians 3, 10 through 12, it says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a what? A curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now this is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse uh, 23. There's a curse 
unless you keep it all. If you want to be saved by the law, fine. But you have to keep it all. You can't offend in one little point. You see, that's the that's the uh, the catch here. And uh, now that no one has justified the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. Harrow the law is not of faith. On the contrary, and then we see he quotes Leviticus 18.5, uh, he who practices them shall live by them. And what he means by that is you've got to keep it perfectly. See, you've got to, to be alive. You've got to, you've got to keep it perfectly. And this is, this is the point that Paul is making. And so Paul now quotes Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14. Turn there. <clears throat> and so Moses has told them something that uh, is impossible to do. He told them in, in 27, you know, you cursed is everyone who doesn't keep it perfectly. So now in, in Deuteronomy 30, it comes up. Uh, uh, matter of fact, in, in verse 6 of chapter 30, moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. So that's what's needed is the circumcision of the heart. You need to be regenerated. You need to, uh, uh, to in order to love the Lord your God. But he goes on in uh, verses 11 through 14, he says, For this commandment which I commanded uh, you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. Because you see, the people were saying, well, how can we be saved then? Basically, we can't keep it perfectly. There's no way. We're going to be cursed because we're going to, we're going to offend it. We're going, to, we're going to break it. But he says, it is not in heaven that you should say, who will, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? Nor is it beyond the sea that we should say, who shall cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? You see, that's impossible. How do you go up to heaven? You can't. It's impossible. That's what they were saying. They were Moses is anticipating what they're thinking here, but he says, the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. Now, Paul is taking this. And in verses 9 and 10, he's going to say, for with, uh, uh, if I will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, it's a saying that we find here in, in Deuteronomy that he quotes from. Uh, in other words, it's not far away from you. It's near you. It's near you, Paul is saying. And so he says, uh, you don't, uh, notice you don't go up uh, to, to, uh, to bring Christ down and you don't go and bring Him up from uh, beneath. No, why? Because He's very near you. Trust Him. Trust Him. Look to Christ is what He's saying here. Christ is, Christ is your, your hope here. Uh, because what does, see, what does the, the law bring about? Just despair and horror and fear. Because you can't keep it. And they were going to say, what are we going to do? We, you know, who's going to go up to heaven to, to find somebody that can bring it down and show us how to keep it? And who can... Who can descend into the abyss to, to, to do the same thing? No, he says, he says uh, it's very near to you. And Paul is saying, you know, your answer is in, is in Christ. You need to fix your eyes upon Christ. And uh, uh, 
because Christ has done the impossible, if you will. And uh, because no one can have perfect obedience. Righteousness, Paul says, is by faith. It doesn't require an impossibility on your part. Why? Christ has done what to you is impossible. Christ has died as a perfect sacrifice for your sins. You see that? He's already done it. It's over. It's finished. So really when you say, what must I do to be saved? I don't have to do anything. It's been done for me by Christ. It's by His sacrifice. It's by His blood. It's by His death. It's by His resurrection. It's already been done. What do I have to do? Trust. Faith. Believe. And boy, when I tell you, when you start living a life out of belief, watch out for what God's going to do in your life. But if you're trying to live a life that, that oh, i got to do this and i got to do that to please God and boy, I hope I've done enough to get my uh, uh, act together so God will accept me. Oh, that's, that, that's just disparaging. The whole, the whole, that whole uh, line of thinking is, is uh, destructive. There's no life in it. There's only death in it. What does the Gospel say though? What does the Gospel say in verse 6? You don't have to go looking for it because it is near you. That's the, that's the truth of it. That's in, that's in uh, verse 8. What does it say? The Word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is what? What is it? The Word of faith, Paul says. It's the Word of faith. It's faith. It's faith. It's all by faith, by trust. It's just amazing how he goes to the Old Testament and, and points these things out and brings them back and, and puts it all together for us. It's just amazing. Uh, the object of faith is what? Is who? Christ. The object of faith is Christ. And this is what Paul is saying. Fix your eyes on Christ. What's the righteousness that you have to have? The righteousness of Christ. A righteousness based on faith. A righteousness which is received by faith. Christ's righteousness is what we need. Remember the illustration I gave oh, last year or something? And I, and I love it because uh, I think it, it shows Christ is the object of our faith. And you know, you just have to have very little faith. It's not the greatness of your faith that saves you. Because do you have perfect faith? Absolutely not. I don't have perfect faith. I know that because sometimes I, I can't even find my faith. But, uh, but the object of our faith is what holds us up. And by that I mean a man went fishing on this lake and they had a went down to zero that night and he said, oh, and he went out there and the lake was frozen over. And so boy, he grabs his pole and his saw. He runs out to go ice fishing. Whoop! Right down he goes. Well, the man says, you know what? That didn't work, so I think I'll just give it some more time. And so the, a month from then, and, and they had had freezing days the entire month, and so the man goes back to the lake to go fishing. And this time his faith is not so, so strong, so he just kind of works his way out on the ice. He kind of does this, you know. And he says, you know what? This thing's frozen. This thing is holding me up. And, 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 and of course, Christ is the lake, if you will. And it's not the man's faith which is now weak. Before it was very strong and it couldn't hold him up. If the object of your faith 
is not able to hold you up, it's worthless. But what, what Paul is saying here, Christ is going to hold you up. You can stand on Him. He's a sure foundation we study. He's the sure foundation. Wow, that's something to get excited about. And we can, we can um, trust Him. Your self-righteousness won't hold you up. It just ain't going to do it. You, you can take your little, your, your little goodness to God, it ain't going to hold you up. You can take the law and how you keep the law, it ain't going to hold you up. But Christ will. Christ will hold you up. Why? Because the lake is frozen from the top to the bottom. See what I'm saying? It's complete. It's finished. You cannot fall through is what he's my point is. Because it's a sure foundation. You drive a tank out on it. Some of it's kind of fun. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway. So that's what great that's what that's what the gospel says to do. Now, what does Paul say to do to be saved? And you find that in verses nine and ten. In other words, He is near you now. What is your response to that? The fact that He is near you, He is here. What is my response? And He says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Notice, believe, 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 He says. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. We see, first of all here, he says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you will be saved. Notice this is individual. This is personal. This is something that you have to do. But as many as received Him, you see, you must your, yourself trust Him as, as Paul did. By faith, you must receive Him uh, and, and believe and trust in Him to be saved. It's a personal thing. And then we see that believe in your heart comes first. Did you see that? It says in, in, in verse 10, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the heart. Now, of course, he's not talking about this pump, 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 pump physical heart. It's the it's the it's the cardia in the Greek. It's where we get, you know, cardiac arrest and all that, but it comes from the Greek. But in the Greek, it's not doesn't have anything to do with your physical heart. Your heart is a seat of your intellect and your feelings, your emotions, and your will. It's all of that, not just part of that. A lot of people get emotional about Jesus and they'll cry and they'll carry on. And, but that's not just the heart. Some people have it all up here. It's all up here in their head and they have it all down. They can, they can give you the, the doctrine and write it all down. But there's a very key element and that is your will. 
That is your will. Interesting. Turn to in, in Matthew chapter 7. And I want to talk about this more next week. Jesus is talking about fruits here. And of course, we're not saved by our works. Works have nothing to do with our salvation because it's by grace through faith. But he says in verse 20, so then you will know them by their fruits. And then he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Now notice here, you must confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord to be saved. But there are going to be a lot of people in that day that's going to say, what does he say here in, uh, in verse, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does what? The will of my Father. That's pretty interesting. The will of the Father. What did Jesus say? Not my will, but thy will be done. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. He is now your master. He is now your Lord. Because just to say, Lord, Lord, unless it's coming from your heart, a desire to please Him, a desire to live for Him, which He has created in you by regeneration, by working in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure, not yours. And we're going to talk about that more next week. What is that? What is this involved, you see? Because there is a lot of a lot of counterfeit Christianity out there. People that just make professions and they're just living like the devil. But what does Jesus say here in this passage? He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will declare to them, what? I never knew you. Depart from me you who practice what? Iniquity. Lawlessness. In other words, they were never regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was not their Lord. They were living for self. We're going to talk about that more week. But you must, you must, you must have Jesus first. What did Jesus say? We'll look at this more next week. But he says, to follow him. We read that. Uh, ben read that this morning. What did he say? Very clearly. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Which means what? Dying to yourself. And that is to be my disciple, he says. It's not a if you want it or not, you know, take it or leave it kind of thing. No. If you want to be my, my disciple, what does he say? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. A cross is an instrument of what? Death. Dying to self. What must I do to be saved? The most important question that you ever face in your life. The most important one. Let me ask you. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Are you trusting Him and Him alone for your salvation? This is what Paul, this is what Paul desires, and he's, he is so earnest about this. Because he said it's so, so, so 
very important. Let's pray. Father, I just thank You this morning for Your Word. Uh, Lord, I thank You that uh, without the shed blood of Christ, uh, without the crucifixion of Christ and His death on the cross for our sins, uh, we're most miserable. But Father, as we continue to look at this, I thank You that uh, You were... You were crucified, and you died, you were buried, and that you rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, as we find in 1 Corinthians. Father, I just thank you that that's the Gospel. It's all about Christ. May we, O Lord, fix our eyes on Jesus. Lord, may we not trust anything in us. Lord, as we sang about, all of our righteousness is filthy rags. Lord, help us to see our hopelessness, our helplessness without Christ. That we will not be able to stand before You one day, Lord, and be able to claim any merit that's in us or from us to You. That the only thing that we will be able to boast about is the cross of Christ. Lord, help us to boast about the cross of Christ and His finished work and our total righteousness that we are now perfect in Him. Lord, work in us, work in me, Lord, to live out of the Gospel, to live my life out of love for what You've done for me. Give us grace to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.